I think Texas is well equipped to make the jump to the SEC. I do. But I do think that the challenges that they'll have playing an SEC schedule are going to be significant. There's so many changes going on in college football right now, it's almost difficult to wrap your head around how different 2024 is going to look. So we figured we'd start by taking a look over the next couple weeks at some college football playoff contenders. We'll start today with the SEC, and there's a bunch of teams that we're going to put a percentage likelihood that they make the college football playoff. I have eight teams in the SEC that I think have a chance to get to the college football playoff. Granted, it's a 12-team playoff. I can't imagine a scenario where the SEC gets more than three or four teams, but we'll put the percentage likelihood that the teams could find their way to the ultimate prize. I can't wait because we are officially 52 weeks to the day away from crowning a national champion. If you haven't looked at the calendar, the national champion will be crowned one year from today. Now, not January 22nd because it's a leap year. It'll be January 20th, but we are 52 weeks from the day from crowning a national champion there in Atlanta in the inaugural 12-team playoff. Welcome to Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me are Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake Garcia. We have a very exciting show. We got a bunch of news and notes that we're going to get to, including some coordinator buzz, the fact that Ohio State is currently cleaning up in the portal and on the recruiting trail. We're going to go through all the SEC teams that I think have a realistic chance to get to the college football playoffs. Some more realistic than others, but we're going to go through eight teams that I think have a real chance here in 24 to punch their ticket to the postseason. So let's not waste any time. Let's dive in the SEC college football playoff contenders here in 2024. Well, we'll start at the top. Even though they finished second in the league last year, we'll start with the Georgia Bulldogs. Based on what they return, I think most experts will have them at one, maybe two, heading into the 2024 season. I'd probably have them number one, Ohio State, with their run, what they've seen in the portal the last couple of weeks. Maybe they will jump right in front of the Bulldogs. But either way, Georgia, with what they return, is in a great spot. You can't go 29-1 and one in your last 30 games and not be at or near the top of the rankings. You also bring back your quarterback, Carson Beck, in his second year as a starter, his fifth year in the program. I think he's unbelievable. I think he's such a great player. And you look at the recruiting classes that have surrounded him. They've finished in the top four pretty much every single year. They've also finished the top twice. Program's 46-2 and two in the last 48 games. So Georgia is losing a couple of key pieces. No denying that. Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkey, both were a little banged up at times last year. But still, when they're on the field, you had to take into account just how dangerous they could be. The good news is they went to the portal and added a couple of veteran guys that have seen a lot of big moments, a lot of big games in the past. You look at what they bring in with Colby Young from Miami. Good, solid, contributing piece. I thought Colby Young was a little underutilized in Miami's offense, but maybe here at Georgia's he'll get a little bit more look. And then London Humphreys in from Vanderbilt. That's two key pieces to kind of step in. Granted, neither one plays tight end the way Brock Bowers does, but still, they also added Trevor Etienne, who ran for 1,472 yards with 14 touchdowns at Florida the last couple of years. So with Edwards leaving, Kendall Milton leaving, developing depth, there at running back, I think, was of significant importance. They're going to be able to move the football. We know offensively they're going to be excellent. They have maybe the best quarterback in the SEC. 
But defensively, what we've seen from Georgia in the past it hasn't been quite the same. If you look at their defense last year, there were ups and downs. There were some really good moments, and there were also some moments where it's like, man, they're getting gashed on the ground. Missouri game comes to mind. Bama game comes to mind. So I look at their, you know, the way things have kind of set up defensively. I do think that that group hopefully will take a, a step because they played a lot of youth on that side of the ball last year. At one point, they had four freshmen in the starting lineup. I also look at the schedule too. Schedule's a lot more difficult than it's been the last couple of years. You get Clemson there in the non-conference. That'll be in Atlanta. Uh, that'll be a difficult game. You go to Ole Miss. Uh, you go to Alabama. You go to Texas. <laughs> Those are maybe the three best teams there in the SEC outside of Georgia. So very difficult road trips for Georgia. And to think that they're going to go 12-0, and I have a hard time envisioning that. But 10-2, and 11-1 at the very worst, maybe they lose at Bama. Maybe they lose at Texas. Maybe they drop one in Jacksonville to Florida. I don't think that's likely, but maybe it happens. I think you look at Georgia, the schedule that they're going to play, they're 10-2 and or better, they're in the college football playoff. That's why the percentage chance that I have of the Georgia Bulldogs making the college football playoff is 90%. I look at this past year, they finished 6th. That was with a loss in the SEC championship game. Like I said, schedule much more difficult, but I think the committee will give them the benefit of the doubt because if you're looking at the at-large teams, assuming they don't win the SEC, who's got a better roster than the Georgia Bulldogs? So I think it's 90% chance they're in the 12-team field next year. Let's move next to the Texas Longhorns. They clearly outperformed many people's expectations in 2023. I think a lot of people, self-included, I had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around, man, we are really anointing Texas this year. That was this past year. I had them number six in the country in the preseason. I was very apprehensive about having them that high because how many times have we been burned by the Longhorns in the past? But you looked at their roster and you felt, man, it's just they're too talented not to make a run. Well, they make the college football playoff for the first time in program history. And Steve Sarkeesian's I guess his program in general, they're humming right now. Now, they do have to replace some really key pieces, no doubt. But you bring back your quarterback, you bring back your top two running backs, you should be in really good shape. C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue, they're going to be really the bell cow. They're the run game. Take some of the pressure off Quinn Ewers. Now, where you have to find the pieces that are going to replace the wide receivers and the tight end, that's a little bit trickier. J.T. Sanders, I thought it was as difficult a matchup at tight end outside of Brock Bowers in the entire country. Well, he's now gone. You also lose the other three wide receivers and Worthy, Whittington, and Adonai Mitchell. Well, the good news is they went to the portal and they made some really key additions. You go and get Isaiah Bond from Alabama, who I think has a chance to be a number one wide receiver for Texas this year. You go and get a tight end from Alabama and Amari Nyblack, who is a lot like JT Sanders, not quite the blocker that JT Sanders is. Not that JT Sanders was an elite blocker, but I think he was a little bit more capable than Amari Nyblack, but Amari Nyblack has great top-end speed, and that, I think, will be a really important piece for Steve Sarkeesian as he's kind of moving him around and finding matchups for Nyblack. They go and add Matthew Golden from Houston. Don't sleep on this guy. Do not sleep on him. If you look at Matthew Golden's productivity this year, man, there was a lot of really good moments for him at Houston. So that's a guy that I think not enough people are talking about. And then finally, Silas Bolden from Oregon State. Now, Oregon State's offense is going to be grounded pound, three yards in the cloud of dust. He was going to get a lot of one-on-ones, but he was very efficient alongside DJ Uyunglele in that offense. Even though he didn't get the looks that he's probably going to get in this style of attack, 
he was very effective when they threw it in his direction. The biggest thing that they're going to have to replace, though, is not necessarily the receivers, not a piece or two here along the offensive line. It's really along the defensive front. Losing Byron Murphy and Tavondre Swent and Jalen Ford, their outstanding linebacker, it's going to be difficult to replace those pieces. Really difficult. Now they went to the portal, added Trey Moore from UT San Antonio. They also added Andrew Bakuba from Clemson, who's a safety. Two really good place pieces that will probably be plug-and-play as starters but the defensive tackle position. They're good, and they were deep last year, but losing those two top-end guys, one, the Outland Trophy winner, two, the best interior pass rusher in the entire sport last year, losing those two guys will be a difficult piece to replace. You look at their schedule, too, and I am curious. I think Texas is well-equipped to make the jump to the SEC. I do. But I do think that the challenges that they'll have playing an SEC schedule are going to be significant. For instance, you play at Michigan in the non-conference, Colorado State and UTSA and, and UL Monroe. So that's your non-conference. But instead of you know trips to you know fill-in-the-blank university, they get Kentucky. Kentucky, I think, is a t- tough, tough team to play against. You get a Florida team who might not be great, but Florida's a tough team to play against. You're at Arkansas. Remember what happened last time. The Texas Longhorns went to Arkansas. That's a tricky game. That'll be Arkansas' Super Bowl. You know they've had that one circled. Mississippi State's tricky, especially with Jeff Levy, the new head coach of Mississippi State. He was formerly of Oklahoma. He knows how to attack Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. You get Oklahoma. They're in Dallas. So I think it's a really tricky schedule. I didn't even mention the road trip to Texas A&M there in the finale of the regular season. I think Texas probably looking at a 10-2 and 11-1 type year. I really believe that they're in a really good position. Could they fall to 9-3 potentially because the gauntlet of the SEC is a little bit more intense than the gauntlet they had to run in the Big 12? Sure, that's definitely a possibility. But still, even at 9-3, and I would think Texas has a really good chance to get to the 12-team college football playoff depending on who they beat and how they beat them. So I'm going to put the percentage chance that they make the playoff in 24 at 70%. It's a really high number. But given what Steve Sarkeesian's got coming in, and the young players that have played pivotal roles for them last year, I think they're well-positioned to continue what they established there in 2023. Let's go next to Alabama. There has not been a team in the SEC that has experienced more change from last year to this year. Obviously, Nick Saban shutting it down. In comes Kalen DeBoer. They've had a lot of leakage into the portal. A ton of guys, a lot of depth that was lost. Now, I think Alabama will be a huge player in May. When the portal opens up, they've already added a couple pieces from the portal this past weekend, like Parker Brailsford from Washington. They've added a couple pieces earlier in the portal cycle in Damani Jackson, the corner from USC, who was at one point a five-star. A defensive lineman, LT Overton from Texas A&M, who I think can be a really adequate replacement for Chris Braswell there on the end of the line of scrimmage. So you look at what they have, man. I think Alabama's in a great spot. I know a lot of people are going to kind of latch on to the negativity, well, the perceived negativity of all these guys leaving in the portal. And yes, they lost some really good pieces, some really good pieces, okay? You talk about impact starters, both offensively and defensively, losing Caleb Downs to Ohio State, losing Isaiah Bond to Texas, losing Seth McLaughlin to Ohio State, and losing Amari Nyblack to Texas. Those are all starters, going into next year. Now, people will say, well, Seth McLaughlin, he was he was poised to get replaced anyways because of the errant snap issues. I, I get that. And I actually think that Bama has upgraded at the center position by bringing in Parker Brailsford from Washington 
in place of Seth McLaughlin, who's now going to Ohio State. So I think Alabama has definitely lost some key pieces, not to mention the guys they lost at the NFL draft. Dallas Turner, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Taryn Arnold, J.C. Latham. They lost a lot of really good pieces, but they still have Jalen Milrow. They still have good, high-quality, young wide receivers. I think the addition of Jeremy Bernard from Washington is one that is going to be really underrated. Now, Jeremy Bernard is a little bit, if you've watched Georgia in the last couple of years, you watch Dylan Bell. Jeremy Bernard's a little bit like Dylan Bell. I'm not saying he's going to turn into a running back because uh, Dylan Bell was really a running back slash wide receiver. So he played both. could run it between the tackles. It could beat you on a go route down the field. He's a really versatile piece. But I think that's kind of what Jeremy Bernard provides as well. He's a catch-and-run guy. They've used him in the Wildcat. He's attempted to pass in his college career. He's got a bunch of carries and a bunch of catches after uh, where they use him in screens, and they kind of feature him in a bunch of different ways. He also contributes in the kick return game and the punt return game as well. So I think Alabama, even though it feels like the sky is falling, I'm still remarkably optimistic. And when you look at their schedule too, it's tough. No one's going to sit here and try to spin that their schedule is manageable. It's not. But I do think their schedule sets up pretty favorably. You get kind of an early season test at Wisconsin. You get Western Kentucky, who's going to challenge that secondary. You get South Florida, who I think had a really good year last year, will also challenge the secondary, but Alabama's going to have better pieces. Then they go to Wisconsin. So you get a couple of really high-quality warm-ups, then you go to Wisconsin. Then you get a break. You get Georgia at home after that. You get a couple of tough games there at Vandy, South Carolina, at Tennessee, Missouri. Very difficult stretch there in October. You get Mercer, Oklahoma, and Auburn there to finish things out. You also, of course, have the road trip to LSU. I think you look at Alabama's schedule, I think 10-2 and is highly likely. I think 11-1 is perfectly reasonable. Granted, beating Georgia at home will be a challenge. Beating LSU at LSU will be a real challenge. Winning at Tennessee will be a real challenge. Having Mizzou at home, if it were in Como... I think that's a much tougher game. But the fact that it's at home, I think, is more manageable. And the road trip to Oklahoma before they play the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa will be tricky as well. But I think Alabama, much like the aforementioned Texas, much like the aforementioned Georgia, if Alabama's sitting there 10-2, and 9-3, and 11-1, I think the likelihood of them getting into the college football playoff because of the talent on the roster is still insanely high. So the percentage chance that they make the 12-team playoff, I'm going to put Alabama at 70%. Moving next to the Ole Miss Rebels. They have had a terrific offseason. I'm talking terrific offseason. Now, offseason can only go so far, but if you look at the pieces that they've added, yes, they lost Quinshawn Judkins, who is arguably the best running back in the entire country. You can make that case. Now, he's a little banged up early in the year last year, but two years ago, he was as good as anybody at running back in all of college football. Towards the end of the season last year, he was really coming on. And over the last two years, man, he's been outstanding. So losing him to Ohio State is significant. But they do have adequate pieces there behind him to kind of fill that void. I don't think Ulysses Bentley is going to be Quinshawn Judkins 2.0. I don't think the addition of Logan Diggs from LSU is going to totally fill the void that is Quinshawn Judkins. But I think they have capable veteran replacements that are going to be stepping into a spot that is vacated by one of the most talented in the country. You also still have Trey Harris at wide receiver. You get the transfer from South Carolina and Juice Wells that should be an outstanding one-two punch at wide receiver. But the big additions for Lane Kiffin this offseason have mostly come on the defensive side of the football. 
You go and get Princely Umanmi Ellen, who had seven sacks for Florida last year as an edge rusher. You bring in Walter Nolan, who at one point was the number one prospect in the portal. And two years ago, when he was coming out of high school, he was the number one prospect in the entire country. You also bring in Trey Amos at corner from Alabama. He adds great length to the position. You bring in Chris Paul at Arkansas, Yam Banks out of South Alabama. They have really done a great job of upgrading their talent and depth on the defensive side. And Pete Golding, I think with these new pieces, is going to be able to create a little bit more of an edge on that side of the ball. Their toughest two opponents, too, are both at home. You get Oklahoma at home and you get Georgia at home. And of all the schedules in the SEC, I think Ole Miss might have the most manageable. You get Furman, Middle Tennessee, at Wake Forest, Georgia Southern. Those are your four non-conference games. Should be pretty manageable. You get Kentucky at your place. You go to South Carolina, who might be in a little bit of a rebuild this year. You get Oklahoma at your place. Then you go to Arkansas. Who knows what Arkansas is going to be this year. One tricky game that I don't think enough people will be talking about is that road trip to Florida. That, I think, has a chance to be a tough one. And then the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State will be played in Oxford. The toughest games on the schedule are at LSU and then Georgia. I think those are two that they probably lose. But even if they win the rest of them, they'll probably be favored in every other game. We're looking at another 10-2 and two season for Lane Kiffin, probably 6-2 and two in the conference overall. And if you go 10-2, and two, the percentage chance that you make the college football playoff with that schedule, even though the non-conference leaves a little to be desired, I think you're in a really good spot. Now, could they potentially go 9-3 and three and still make the playoff? Sure, which is why I have their percentage chance that they make the 12-team playoff at 60%. Just a lot of new faces, a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns, but you got to feel good about the talent that they've added and the depth that they've added on both sides of the football. Let's talk about their rival, the LSU Tigers. They've won 10 games in each of Brian Kelly's first two years in Baton Rouge. Now, they also had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that they have to replace in Jaden Daniels, which will be really, really tough. And the defense that allowed a bunch of points in their losses, 42 points in each of the three losses. So the defense is going to have to get figured out. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But the good news is they already have an adequate replacement in Garrett Nussmeyer to fill the massive void that is Jaden Daniels. Now, he accounted for 95% of LSU's passing yards, 44% of their rushing yards before the bowl game. He was responsible for 50 total touchdowns. Okay, that level of productivity is going to be very difficult for Garrett Nussmeyer to match. But he's waited three years for this opportunity, and he feels poised to really step into this role and play at a high level. He looked great in the ReliQuest Bowl. He was the MVP of the bowl game, threw for nearly 400 yards and three touchdowns against Wisconsin. Now, he won't have Malik Neighbors. He won't have Brian Thomas, who are both potentially Neighbors is for sure. Thomas is a fringe first-round pick. They did add C.J. Daniels from Liberty and Xavion Thomas from Mississippi State. The big thing, though, that's going to slow down this LSU team is if their defense can't get a whole heck of a lot better. That's got to be the focal point of the offseason for Brian Kelly. He decided to clean house from Matt House. <laughs> Not intentional there on the pun. He was the defensive coordinator. He's no longer there. Kerry Cooks, the safeties coach, he's no longer there. The cornerbacks coach, Robert Steeple's no longer there. Jimmy Lindsay, the defensive line coach, he's no longer there. They bring in, I think, the best defensive line coach in the country in Bo Davis. He comes over from Texas, so that was a massive pickup for Brian Kelly. And I think they went out and made maybe the biggest coordinator hire of the offseason in hiring Blake Baker. That was a big-time, big-time hire. 
to go get a guy from Missouri that has experience at LSU and has done a remarkable job the last couple of years with Missouri's defense. Then they go out and they add Jordan Gilbert from Texas A&M and Jair Brown from Ohio State. Both are going to contribute in the back end. Gilbert at safety, Jair Brown likely at corner. That's a position of significance, especially knowing some of the pieces that they're going to have to replace. So you look at their schedule. It's tough. You get Southern Cal there in Las Vegas in week one. That'll be a Sunday night game. It'll be absolutely awesome. I hope. I hope we're there for that one, but we will see. Southern Cal against Las, uh, in Las Vegas is massive. Then you get Nickel State. Then you're at South Carolina. Should be in a position to be no worse than 2-1 and one in the first three games of the year. No worse. Then you get UCLA at your place. South Alabama at your place. Ole Miss at your place. I think you'll take care of Ole Miss at home. You're at Arkansas, and the battle of the boot will be tricky. You're at Texas A&M. That'll be tricky as well. Alabama comes to you. You're at Florida. Then you finish up with Vandy and Oklahoma. I think you're looking at a 10-2 season at the very worst. Say you dropped a Southern Cal game. Let's say you dropped a game against Ole Miss. Say you drop a game at A&M. Drop a game at Alabama, or against Alabama. I don't see them losing all those games. I just don't. I think LSU, with what they bring back, knowing that they have a big-time defensive coordinator, Defense is not going to be worse than they were. They were unrecognizable at times last year, and a lot of it had to do with inexperience and a lack of productivity in the back end. I think they're going to be better in the back end of their defense. They're going to be going against some quality quarterbacks there at Southern Cal, UCLA potentially, Ole Miss, Alabama. All those guys are pretty solid. A&M might be pretty good at quarterback too. I mean, you look at just kind of everything. I think you're looking at a 10-2 season at worst. Maybe 9-3 and three, still. Much like the teams that we've talked about already, I think the percentage chance they make the 12-team playoff is incredibly high. I'm going to put it at 55% right now. Granted, a couple toss-up games in there for sure, but man, I think with what they bring back and the talent that they have, they'll be really well-positioned if they don't win the SEC to get one of those at-large spots. Another team that is fresh off of an incredible 2023 campaign are the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, they went 6-7 and seven in 2022. Eli Drinkwitz headed into the 23 season, maybe on the bit of a hot steep, but they were rewarded with a, an 11-win season and a victory over Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. They bring back some of their most impactful players in Brady Cook. They bring back Luther Burden at wide receiver. They have a legitimate chance to be a college football playoff contender this upcoming season. Now, they have to replace some key starters on defense, which is not ideal. You have to replace Harper, who is outstanding at linebacker, was a Buckus Award finalist. You bring, you have to replace Chris Abrams, Drain, and Ennis Rakestraw, two of the best corners in the SEC. They're also going to have to find a way to adequately replace Cody Schrader, who was one of the best running backs in the country and led the FBS with 125 yards per game. Now, they added Marcus Carroll, who ran for over 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns at Georgia State, and they added Nate Noel from Appalachian State, who Eli Drinkwitz knows really well. He was the head coach at Appalachian State a while back, but he has a good feel for that stretch zone system that they want to run. I think they did a good job of being able to bring in some capable pieces at running back to fill what was a significant void with the departure of Cody Schrader. They also added some really good pieces defensively in the portal, like Toriano Pride, the corner from Clemson. They brought in Darius Smith from Georgia, who's a great edge defender, and a defensive lineman in Chris McClellan from Florida that were really key pickups. They also bring in the number one defensive end prospect in the country in Wanneri. So it'll be interesting to see just how much he's going to be able to step right in as a freshman. But based on what he was in the recruiting services, he might become a starter day one. 
Losing defensive coordinator Blake Baker to LSU hurts significantly, but their schedule is pretty dang manageable. You get Murray State, Buffalo, Boston College, and Vandy to start things out. All four of their first four games are at home. Then you go to A&M. You got UMass followed by that. You got Auburn at your place, Oklahoma at your place as well. Then you finish with some road games at Alabama, at South Carolina, at Mississippi State, and then Arkansas to finish things up. I think Missouri is well positioned to build on what they did in 2023. Do I think they're going to make the college football playoff? I think they got a really good chance. A really good chance. It's just going to depend on how they fare uh, against Alabama. <laughs> I think at Alabama will be massive, but every other game on their schedule is remarkably winnable. Remarkably winnable. Could we see a scenario where Missouri's sitting there at 11 to 1, potentially? You got them winning at AM? You got them being Oklahoma at home. You got them winning at South Carolina. You got them winning at Mississippi State. I think things look pretty dang good for Eli Drinkwitz heading into 2024. I think their schedule is manageable, relatively speaking. So I'm going to put the percentage chance that they make the 12-team playoff. And for Missouri, this is remarkable. I'm going to put it at 50%. Pretty dang impressive when you look at what they've been able to create there the last couple of years. A couple of longer shots that we want to get to as well. Teams that I think are dangerous but I'm not quite sure they have enough just yet to crack the top 12 when it comes to the college football playoff. Let's start with Tennessee. Now, we got to take a peek about what they might look like in the Cheese at Citrus Bowl. They routed Iowa 35-0. Joe Milton opted out of the bowl game, so we got a good long look at Nico Imaleva. He completed 12 of 19 for 151 and a touchdown, but also added three scores on the ground. Now, he was the number four overall player in the ESPN 300 in the 2023 class. So that is significant, but you can't play quarterback yourself. He's done a great job, I think, in being able to create opportunities for Squirrel White. Brew McCoy will be back and healthy. Brazel will be back, who is Tulane's leading pass catcher in 2023. So that was a big addition in the portal. They also bring back a couple of key pieces along the offensive line, like Cooper Mays. They just added Lance Hurd from LSU, who's going to be likely a starting tackle for him, or at least provide depth there along the offensive line. They got to figure out a way to shore up the secondary, but they did lose six defensive backs to the portal. So they do have to figure out that position, but everything else looks pretty dang good for the Tennessee Volunteers this year. They get UT Chattanooga, NC State, Kent State. Start things out in the non-conference. They should be in a pretty good spot. That game against NC State will be in Charlotte. Then you look at their SEC schedule. At Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, UTEP, and at Vanderbilt. They also go to Oklahoma, Alabama, and they're also at Georgia. Can they beat Alabama and Georgia? I don't think they can. But every other game on their schedule, I think, is very winnable. Mississippi State at their place, Kentucky at their place, at Oklahoma, I think they can take care of business in those games. I really believe that. Those will be the kind of hinge games that could make Tennessee's season really special if they can win some of those games that are toss-ups. I think right now 8-4 and four is probably most likely. I think 9-3 and three is well within reach. But at 8-4, and four, I think the percentage chance that they make the 12-team playoffs at about 15%. They get to nine and three. I would say that increases things significantly, but I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards eight and four and a little less towards nine and three at the moment. Granted, a lot of movement still going on with Tennessee, but I'm going to put their chances of making the playoff at 15% right now. And we'll finish with the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, Brent Venables did a great job in his second year, going from six and seven to 10 and three. You knock off Texas in the Red River rivalry. That was massive. You now lose your quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, who was a two-year starter, threw for nearly 7,000 yards, 
and 73 total touchdowns in Norman. That was big to lose him, but you do have an adequate replacement in the young freshman Jackson Arnold. He was a former five-star recruit. He has all the tools, but there will be some growing pains as evidenced by some of the little playing time that he got this year. They have to replace a bunch along the offensive line as well. They also have to replace Drake Stoops, who was a leading receiver from a year ago. They did add Dion Burks from Purdue at wide receiver, but still going to be very interesting to see exactly how things fill out there amongst the receiver core. They've gotten some key pieces in the portal. They've added Brown, who was a two-year starter at Michigan State. They, they added some pieces from North Texas. They added Malone, who was an honorable mention Mountain West selection at San Diego State and might shore up the pass defense there in the back end. Did part ways with Ted Roof, the defensive coordinator, and brought in Zach Alley, who was from Jacksonville State. So it will be a little bit look, different-looking defensive structure, perhaps, with Zach Alley coming over. And, of course, they have to replace Jeff Levy. They brought in Seth Luttrell to do that, who I think will be excellent there in Norman, his alma mater. Look at their schedule. I know that we got wins against Temple. I think they'll get a win against Houston. I think they'll get a win against Tulane. And then Tennessee at home is a toss-up game like we just talked about. You go to Auburn, it should be in a decent position to potentially get one there, even though Auburn's a very tricky place to play. South Carolina comes to you, and Maine comes to you. But here's where it gets very tricky for Oklahoma. Are the games away from Norman? Texas, they're playing them in Dallas. Neutral site, as always. At Ole Miss, very difficult. At Missouri, very difficult. At LSU, very difficult. And then Alabama comes to you on the second to last week of the regular season. I think an eight and four is probably about right. Maybe seven and five. If they don't pull off an upset in one of those aforementioned games. They'll be an underdog against Texas more than likely. They'll be an underdog against Ole Miss. They'll be an underdog against Missouri. They'll be an underdog against Bama. They'll be an underdog on the road at LSU more than likely. So seven and five, very possible. Eight and four within reach. If they have a special year, nine and three could definitely happen. If they get to nine and three, I really like their chances, but I don't think they can get there. I'm going to put the percentage chance that they make the 12 team playoff at 10%. How many teams do you think from the SEC will get in? I mean, can you see five teams next year in the playoff from the SEC? I have a hard time envisioning five because you have five automatic qualifiers from the four power five, and then your G5 champion as well. So you have five automatic qualifiers, and then you have seven at-large teams. You look at the Big Ten, they're going to get three in, more than likely. I don't know how you can imagine the scenario where the Big Ten doesn't get three in. So some combination of Michigan, Oregon, uh, Ohio State, Penn State. I mean, you got to think three, maybe four from the Big Ten, and we'll talk about the Big Ten a little later in the week. You look at the SEC, I think three or four probably is most likely. I do think they're very, very deep at the top. Of course, the SEC, you're going to find some upsets. It happens. The road trips that you have to make in the league are very, very difficult. So there will be some upsets. There will be some shakeups more than likely. But I think the SEC is probably safe to assume right now they're going to get four teams in. But I can't imagine the Big Ten or the SEC having five teams. That just seems like an awful lot. With the amount of chaos that could happen in the regular season, it'd be tough for me to predict that right now. Some news and notes going on right now in college football. It's, it's really hard to find a place that's hotter right now. I'm not talking about temperature-wise. I'm talking about they are hot on the trail, whether it's the portal trail or the recruiting trail. Ohio State right now is rolling. They added Caleb Downs from the transfer portal. I think he's one of the best defensive backs in America, an immediate impact player, and an incredible, incredible teammate too. One of the most popular guys in Tuscaloosa. So that was a big loss for Alabama. 
but Ohio State is the beneficiary of him stepping into the portal. Then they go out and they get a top defensive lineman, uh, an elite 2025 target. They go out and there's just a ton of juice right now. And Ohio State and Ryan Day seem to have a ton of momentum right now. It's kind of crazy too. I just wonder, and and I've, I've look, I've read a lot about Ohio State. It feels like Michigan winning the national championship it's going to sound backwards, but Michigan winning the national championship has added a level of urgency to Ohio State's NIL commitment that is unrivaled. To go out and to get Seth McLaughlin from Alabama, to go out and get Will Howard, to go out and get Quinshawn Judkins, to go out and get uh, the Ohio tight end Will Com- uh, Will Camerick. Like, they were able to go out and get some legit, legit dudes and the portal. And then you add Caleb Downs on top of it all, man. Ohio State is hot. And if you look at some of the recruiting services, they have the number one ranked recruiting class in 2025. Or they're going to be in contention for the number one class. Some places have them at like number five with just a handful of early commitments. But man, they are really rolling right now. And it was evidenced by them being able to bring in Julian Sayant. The former Alabama quarterback from Carlsbad, California, he transferred after Kalen DeBoer got the job, and then he decided to go in, stayed around, enrolled early, was able to be a part of the bowl prep, work out with the team, was there with the team in the Rose Bowl game, and then Bill O'Brien gets hired by Ohio State as the offensive coordinator, and Bill O'Brien actually offered Julian Sam when he was at Alabama, so they had a great relationship that had already been established in the years prior, and he was the one that initiated the recruitment of Julian Sam at Alabama. He gets hired there at Ohio State, and Julian Sam goes and works for a guy, or will now go and work for a guy that was recruiting him for quite a while. This is a massive coup for Ohio State, and they are so deep at quarterback. <laughs> they are so deep at quarterback. Five, six guys that are all top-flight blue-chip prospects. So the battle for the starting quarterback spot behind Will Howard, who I think's in all likelihood going to be the guy, the battle behind him for who might be the guy next year is going to be fascinating. I found it comical. Let's take a look at this tweet from Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Lane Kiffin, no stranger to ruffling some feathers, tweets out that Ohio State Buckeyes spent $13 million and counting in NIL money to attempt to field an elite roster. Well, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, if I were Ohio State, I would lean into that. <laughs> like, I've always kind of been kind of baffled by the fact that if you have outrageously deep pockets, you have outrageously deep pockets. You have tremendous booster support and lean into it. And Lane Kiffin clearly frustrated because I'm sure they were going after the same guys. Clearly his his running back, Quinshaw Judkins, leaving Ole Miss to go be a part of Ohio State's program. Lane Kiffin clearly ruffled by what's going on at Columbus. But man, if you look at what's happened with the NIL support that Ohio State has garnered in the last two weeks, it's off the charts good, man. They always had deep pockets. They've always been in a great position to land top players. But now they're able to retain future NFL draft picks to stay another year because the NIL support and roster retention is so significant. So traditionally, Emeka Igbuk would go to the NFL. Denzel Burke would go to the NFL. Travion Henderson would go to the NFL. Yeah, they all would have been draft picks. They all would have made a bunch of money next year. But guess what? They can make a bunch of money at Ohio State and chase a championship that is a legacy establisher that can't take away. 
You also have Tommy Eichenberg, Donovan Jackson, the guard, defensive tackle Tyleek Williams, defensive back Latham Racing, uh, defensive ends Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimola out. I mean, they are rolling there. And if you look at their roster, the star players that they've added to that roster, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that's better positioned to take a step than Ohio State here in 2024. A team that took a step last year, but was in a little bit of flux there for a couple weeks. Arizona, they lose Jed Fish to become the head coach of the Washington Huskies. And you're sitting there thinking, man, what's going to happen to Arizona? They go out and they hire Brent Brennan, who is really well-respected, really well-respected. And for him to be able to replace Fish, he was a finalist when they hired Fish to begin with. Well, he was able to get hired, and the big thing that he was able to do is not put together a roster, but he was able to keep Noah Fafita, their quarterback, and Tetaroa McMillan for the 24 season. Now, Fafita and McMillan have been teammates since they were kids. They attended high school together. They started college together. They've made marks at every single stop along the way. But Fafita helped guide Arizona to their first 10-win season since 2014. It's the fourth 10-win season in program history. And he was a backup to begin the season. It wasn't until week four when he took over for Jaden Delora to become one of the best young quarterbacks in the country. Now, he's going to be, I think, if things go the way that you want him to go for Arizona, he might be a fringe Heisman candidate next year. So you thought maybe, man, Fafita, will he follow Jed Fish to Washington? Would McMillan follow Jed Fish to Washington? No. Those guys are going to stick around, and that is massive because Brent Brennan now has two of the best offensive players in the country to lead them into a new era as Arizona will transition into the Big 12. They should be one of the top teams in the Big 12 next year. Seven-game win streak, finished the AP poll 11th in the season last year. They should be really, really good. Other portal news, Caden Proctor, the former left tackle for Alabama, is going to return home to play for the Iowa Hawkeyes. He played at Southeast Polk High School, was at one point committed to Iowa in the 2023 class, but he flipped to Alabama in the final days. He started 14 games as a true freshman, had a pretty solid season as a left tackle. Granted, there were a lot of ups and downs. Uh, He had a bunch of moments where he didn't play so well, and he had some other moments where he really looked comfortable. His best game ever was against Georgia in the SEC championship game, but I do think that this style is going to be beneficial for Caden Proctor. We don't know what Iowa's offense is going to look like right now, but I do think a ground and pound where he can use his size, use his physicality, will be more beneficial than being on an island like he was at times for the Crimson Tide. The SEC, you're going to have a lot of really twitchy pass rushers. That did not end well for Caden Proctor last year. But at Iowa, if he slides in to play guard, perhaps, if he drops a little bit of weight, I think he'd be a difference maker and all Big Ten potential type of player for the Hawkeyes. So him returning home was huge. A lot of people all been out of shape about the tampering. Y'all, it's about relationships. It's all about relationships. Iowa stayed in touch with Caden Proctor. Maybe he was a little homesick. He's now going to go home. And that's a big addition for Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. San Jose State hires Ken Niamatololo as their new football coach. It's a big hire, <laughs> obviously. Athletic Director Jeff Kanya announced the hiring on Sunday, saying he was the, quote, right fit for San Jose State. It can make the Spartans consistent contenders in the Mountain West. Now he's the winningest coach in Navy history. He was 189-83 in 15 years before he was fired after the 2022 game against Army. And his time with the midshipmen, they obviously ran the triple option. Now, 
Kenny Amatololo has been outspoken about if he got another chance to be a head coach, he wouldn't run the triple option. So I'll be fascinated to watch San Jose State early in the season next year to see what style of attack they're going to be using on the offensive side of the football. Chip Kelly is rumored right now to be a potential offensive coordinator candidate in the NFL for several coaches with head coaching vacancies. Now, I don't know how much I buy this. Now, I got to admit, Jonathan Jones is CBS Sports NFL reporter. He's well-versed. He's well-sourced. But a lot of teams, according to him, have done their research in recent days. He was the head coach of Philadelphia. He was the head coach in San Francisco. And he's really well-respected within the NFL. Now, Kelly's been at UCLA for six years. He's 35 and 34. He's 500 in conference play. He went 25 and 13 and 16 and 11 in conference in the last three years. Now, his first three years were a challenge. He was just 10 and 21, 10 and 15 in conference. But it does feel like things are probably trending in the right direction for UCLA, but I was surprised when I saw this. I don't buy it. I think he's going to stay in college. He's done a great job, I think, in the time that he's been at UCLA. Would like a little more consistency, perhaps, but he has USC's number and beat him pretty good there in November to end the season and finish it off with a bowl win over Boise State. So I don't know if I buy it, but there is buzz about Chip Kelly potentially returning to the NFL. And then finally, Auburn's defensive coordinator search seems to be honing in on DJ Durkin at the moment. Uh, he's a target. And DJ Durkin has been kind of well-traveled around the SEC. He spent time with Texas A&M. He spent time with Ole Miss. Uh, he's been at Florida in the past. So he's been around the SEC. And I know he had several conversations with multiple teams in regards to their defensive coordinator openings. But it does look like that's the direction that Hugh Freeze might be going for his defensive coordinator in 2024. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your show. We appreciate you guys very, very much for following the show and helping the show reach unprecedented heights this past year. Our numbers are up significantly year over year, and we could not do it without all of you. So continue, please, to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, that's on Spotify. If you're here on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel, that's awesome as well. Hit that thumbs up button if you're on the YouTube show. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.